Cast Ball Show, brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going to the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this he sucks. Well, he's out. Is out. He's out. Yes, sir. Brady is out. Look, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Dean is mad. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yes. Welcome back. This is the Passball Show, of course, on the MTR Radio Network. John Pielli, just a reminder, interactive program, the whole thing. Uh, tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli, anything that you got to say. I'm going to make sure I get back to you. But we're going to jump right into the interview I recorded this past week with former Major League uh, first baseman outfielder Bob Watson. And, of course, Bob Watson spent several very good years with the Houston Astros. Of course, ended up playing with the Yankees, a couple other teams throughout his career. After his playing career, he ends up getting involved in coaching, uh, becomes the general manager of the Houston Astros and then the New York Yankees with the Astros in 1994 and 1995, and of course the Yankees in 1996 and 1997. Of course, the Yankees win their first of the four World Series championships in five years in 1996. He had a lot to do with that. Some of the trades he made, a couple free agent signings, and you hear about all that and then some. He ends up becoming the vice president of on-field discipline up until 2010 when he retired. So we touch on all that stuff. So hope you guys enjoyed my interview with Bob Watt. All right, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League player, general manager and uh, vice president of on-field discipline for Major League Baseball, Bob Watson. What's going on, Bob? Well, John, uh, at this point uh, in life, I'm enjoying uh, some retirement, uh, less stressful days, and uh, uh, spending some quality time with my family. No, that, that all sounds good, man. You got You definitely got to get that in, dude. And uh, obviously, you know, from all, you know, as busy as you've been over the course of the last what forty plus years, you probably deserve some uh, some some good family time now. Well, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It, yeah, I I uh, was running pretty hard there. Uh, you know, it was, I think it ended up being forty five years, and uh, uh, it's. Uh, uh, a career that I feel real good about. Uh, no, it wasn't Hall of Fame, but uh, I did some things where I, I left a positive mark on the game, both on the field and off the field, and uh, I feel real good about that. 
Yeah, yeah, you have every reason to. And, and obviously, I think one thing that's uh, kind of underrated from from you and your success in baseball is you were you were a pretty you were a pretty good hitter in your time, man. Particularly your years with the Houston Astros. Uh, tell us a little bit about about your time there, your place in that lineup, and how it was like playing for those Astro teams, particularly of the seventies. Well, uh, I tell you what, um, you know, uh, the Astrodome, uh, everything that took it, it gave, it gave me a, uh, a real hitting approach that uh, helped me be very consistent. Uh, because hitting, hitting the ball in the air, hitting Johnny at home right there was very, very difficult. Uh, the ball uh, didn't travel. You're, you're indoors. Uh, they kept it uh, like at 70 degrees, sometimes 69 degrees. And it was like hitting in a, in a dungeon. Uh, but uh, with that said, you know, there was an astroturf field. And I learned uh, to hit the ball hard on the ground and line drives and uh, I took pride in hitting it hard and uh, that was consistently uh, put the ball in play and uh, yes it hurt it hurt me uh, you know, hitting home runs I don't know I guess I averaged you know, 18 home runs a year or something like that but um, if I played in the park that Houston plays in now I probably would have hit 40 a year uh, the way um, the ball travels in the size of the ballpark, uh, but I hit um, anywhere from third to fifth in that lineup, most of the time cleanup, Cesar uh, Cedeno and Timmy Wynn sometimes uh, before he was traded, they hit third and I hit cleanup, or um, when we traded for Lee May, I ended up hitting uh, fifth. Uh, some of the time, so I was right in the, right in the thick of things, and I thoroughly enjoyed playing uh, here in Houston. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, this is John Pielli. I'm here with Bob Watson. Now, Bob, in 1972 and 1973, you had a chance to play for Leo DeRocher. And, uh, you know, you've, you've heard, you know, all stories about Leo to lip the whole thing. Um, from your opinion, what was it like to have the opportunity to play for Leo DeRocher? And how was he like as a manager from a player's point of view? Well, uh, he was uh, at that stage in his uh, career, uh, I think when he came over to, to Houston here, uh, he was uh, in his early 70s, late 60s, and he had slowed down a lot from his fiery days of being with New York and Chicago and the Dodgers and whatever, but he, he was a great baseball mind, and um, you know, he, uh, he instilled uh, a work ethic uh, that um, you know definitely uh, got your attention, and uh, you know he uh, he wanted to win. He just didn't have the talent uh, to win. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I enjoyed playing for him. You you knew where you stood with him at all times, and uh, you know, I, you know for me hitting uh, in the middle of the lineup. Um, Yeah, no, no question about it. Now, in uh, 1974, um, you scored what was reportedly the one millionth run in the history of Major League Baseball. Uh, what is what does that mean to you? Oh, I tell you what, uh, that's something that I'm the only one that's going to have it. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, we were in San Francisco. 
first go, first game of a doubleheader, and um, I happened to be on second base when Milt May hit the three-run homer. And if our bullpen at that time was right down the left field line, don't tell me to run, 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 um, I would have probably been second because at the same time Milt May hits his home run here in San Francisco, Dave Concepcion in Cincinnati hits a home run, and he's racing around the bases. And uh, if I don't take off with a sprint from third base to home, um, I don't score the millionth run. Uh, I think I beat him by a second and a half. So, uh, you know, I got a, a million tipsy rolls uh, that I ended up giving 500,000 of them to the Boy Scouts and 500,000 to the Girl Scouts. And uh, we got a million tennis that uh, I gave to the Chuck Stevens uh, Foundation, which is a minor league uh, benefit uh, program to help minor leaguers. And, um, you know, I got a, a beautiful platinum watch that uh, myself, then uh, Chuck Feeney was the uh, uh, president of the National League and uh, also uh, uh, the commissioner got uh, a watch. And so we got these uh, platinum watches you know, made a whole lot to me. It seems like it did, and I tell you, what fascinates me is that I guess it really was a race, as as you know, as, as you guys all, everybody playing in a time, were probably all cognizant of the fact that this this one millionth run was approaching. So you know, I you know, when once 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 that ball was hit, you you know, you run real fast. You got Dave Concepcion sprinting around the bases after a home run. So it seems like everybody in Major League Baseball was very cognizant of what was going on. Okay. And, you know, I, I knew um, at the start of our game, I think the, uh, at the start of our game, I guess it was 10 runs to be scored to, to the 10, to the winning run. And, um, you know, as I was on second base, you know, it was down to one, you know. And, and you really, you know, you're standing there, you're, you're into your ball game, you're not really, um, you know, thinking about scoring one particular run. Uh, until he hits the ball out of the ballpark, I start jogging the third, like, you know, on the whole run trot. And uh, the guys in the pen said, run, 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 run. And that, that got me to, to score baseball for me and run. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, that's so fascinating, man. Once again, this is John Piel. I'm here with Bob Watson. Now, Bob, you end up moving around a little bit and wind up with the, the Yankees. And you have a pretty good postseason in 1981. And, uh, you know, of course, the Yankees end up losing to the Dodgers in the World Series that year. But a very good ALDS against the Brewers. Uh, a couple hits in the, in the sweep against the Athletics. And, then you, you know, you hit a couple home runs in the World Series. Tell, about, tell us a little bit about your experience playing in the 1981 World Series for the Yankees. Oh, you know, playing in the World Series is always uh, a dream come true. Every player that puts on the uniform want to play in the World Series. And for me to um, play against the Dodgers, um, my hometown team, I grew up in L.A. And uh, to have Vince Scully, you know, the guy that you heard uh, growing up, uh, you know, Transistors, everybody had a transistor radio. They even took it to the ballpark and had him on the radio while he was uh, while they're at the ballpark. But um, they hit a home run my first at bat uh, in the 
Yankee Stadium that put us up 3 nothing, and we won that game. And uh, game two, I got the game-winning hit in the eighth inning. And in um, game three, against Fernando Valenzuela, who was Mr. Everything that year, uh, I, I hit a home run off him from straightaway center in Dodger Stadium. And to have uh, uh, Vince Cully, Yeah, no question about it. Now, you know, you obviously have a very good career. You end up retiring after the 1984 season. But, you know, you stay involved in baseball. And, you know, a lot of things, you know, one thing leads to another. You end up becoming a general manager of the Houston Astros in uh, 1994. Obviously a team that you had a lot of experience with. You knew the organization very well. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your time in Houston, which uh, ends up culminating as the general manager in 94 and 95. I went there after the uh, 88 season. Uh, I was working with Oakland A's. I was the hitting coach and bench coach for, for Tony La Russa. And we lost to the Dodgers. We had the, we had the best team. Uh, and we lost to the Dodgers in, uh, in 88. And um, I um, was general, assistant general manager uh, along with Bill Wood. And uh, I was in charge of Latin America. Yeah. 
Yeah, no question about it. Once again, this is John Pialli. I'm here with Bob Watson. Now, you know, that takes us into your time in, in New York as a general manager, vice president of baseball operations for the New York Yankees. Uh, you know, I, I always got to ask this, you know, how was it like? doing this for the boss I mean you know here, here's the guy that obviously is known it throughout Major League Baseball is probably one of the one of the most demanding men one of the most demanding owners you're ever going to come across you know it's it's win or else you know you saw a lot of the stuff that he did with D80 is just holding his uh, managers very accountable you know switching managers after a couple bad games it seemed like sometimes so how was how was your perception of having the opportunity to work for the boss in that capacity? question about it I tell you one thing about him that you know listen every player every manager every person involved in an organization wants an owner like that because you know you know he's going to step really to know he's not going to accept anything less than winning and he's going to he's going to give you the resources to do everything you can to put a winner together That's crazy. And, he, you know, it just goes back to the point that the guy, you know, really, really would do anything he can to win. During your during your time as the Yankees general manager, you made a lot of key moves. Guys like, uh, you, you know, you traded for Tino Martinez, Jeff Nelson, Cecil Fielder, Joe Girardi, Charlie Hayes. Um, you know, later on, you end up uh, swinging the deals for Hideki Arabu and Scott Brocious. Um, any any one of those deals in particular stand out as far as being a, uh, a difference maker? Or did they all just kind of uh, really help you put the whole thing together as that team was able to sustain itself over the course of a five-year period? Um, I would say three deals that 
against John Piel. I'm here with Bob Watson. Now, you know, obviously after your time with the Yankees, you end up doing a couple other things, which ends up leading you to the position you take in Major League Baseball as the vice president of on-field discipline. Uh, tell us a little bit about your role there, how you liked that job, and how you were able to handle it the time that you were you were in charge of it. Well, uh, you know, I went there working for Frank Robinson, who was actually uh, the dean of discipline uh, when I got there, but as you recall, the Montreal Expos went uh, completely in the and Major League Baseball, ended up uh, running the team. So the commissioner asked Frank to, to go back on the field and manage, and Frank um, asked me if I would uh, sit in his chair until he got back, and I said, sure. Uh, I ended up uh, uh, doing a a little bit more than just discipline. I ended up uh, changing the, the title to standards and on field. And uh, I ended up uh, doing uh, pace a game, uh, uniform, uh, rigs, uh, also safety issues. I signed off on all new ballparks. I wrote all of the ground rules for all three stadiums. Uh, I inspected all of the fields that our people played in around the world. Um, and so I was a, a busy man, but I thoroughly enjoyed the job. Um, you know, I had all kinds of real bad names. The guys called me from Judge Dredd to uh, Judge Roy Bean, the hanging judge, uh, because uh, I handed out some stiff, uh, stiff discipline, but I was fair. And uh, 
Yeah, no question about it. And I tell you, this brings everything really full circle to everything you've accomplished in Major League Baseball. A player, obviously, you're you're in the front office. You know, you're overseeing things for Major League Baseball. So let me ask you, what was your favorite thing that you got to do in the, you know in your whole time, your 45 years of Major League Baseball? Listen, it all sounds good. Listen, Bob, I want to thank you for having some time today. A lot of great stuff, man. I appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you. And, yeah, maybe we could stay in touch and I can speak to you again sometime soon. All right, John. No problem. There you go. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that spot with Bob Watson. A lot of great stuff talking about, you know, the gold medal and the whole thing. And I tell you, the guy, uh, in, in regards to a baseball life, uh, this guy had a phenomenal, phenomenal baseball life in, in regards to on and off the field. And obviously wish him the best in retirement. But we're going to take our first break of the hour. We'll be back with a lot more stuff going on. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, back after this. This is Lady E, one of the many broadcasters at MTR Radio. If you're listening to MTRRadio.com, fantastic. Que bueno. But if you want to take us with you, we have an app for your smartphone that lets you listen to us 24-7. Just go to Google Play on your Android device or the iPhone App Store and download our app, MTR Radio. What's up, everybody? This is James Flippin'. And Joey Baboots. We host the morning show together, and every morning we start up our cars and make the drive up to the studio. And you know, we always see one or two accidents along the way, and we wanted to make sure our listeners know where to go for the best in car care in South Jersey. That's right, James. Red Rose Body Shop. That's Red Rose Body Shop. Specializes in collision and framework. They're the best in South Jersey for paint and bodywork, unibody framework, free towing, and free estimates. So call today, 609 609- 927-9454 and check out their website www.redroseautobody.com follow them on Facebook and Twitter Red Rose Body Shop 2033 Ocean Heights Avenue Egg Harbor Township New Jersey 609-927-9454 Red Rose Body Shop is South Jersey's collision specialist 609-927-9454 or redrosebodyshop.com Been in an accident? Take your car to the professionals at Red Rose Body Shop.
Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're finishing up the program, and we're going to jump right into our next interview I recorded with former Major League second baseman Jerry Royster. And Jerry Royster most recently was on the uh, Boston Red Sox coaching staff with Bobby Valentine last year. He was the Red Sox third base coach last year, so he gets to talk about that a little bit. Uh, prior to that was the manager of the Milwaukee Brewers in the 2002 season, where he took over for his good friend and buddy Davey Lopes. Prior to that, of course, he spent a nice career with the Atlanta Braves, uh, 1973 to 1988. He was a second baseman on a, the Braves team that made the playoffs in 1982, where they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. So I got that going for you. So hopefully you guys enjoy that spot. Jerry Royster coming up. Hey, this is John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League infielder Jerry Royster. Jerry, what's going on, buddy? Everything's good, John. Good to talk to you. Yeah, once again, thanks. I appreciate you having a couple minutes today. Of course, Jerry, you had a nice, uh, nice career. You know, you played from uh, '73 to '88 with the, you know, the Dodgers. Of course, the Braves. You spent a lot of time with. Uh, tell us a little bit about coming up with the Los Angeles Dodgers in the early part of the '70s. That was a little bit of a transition phase, but at the same time, you know, they were getting good pretty fast. I'll tell you, probably being part of that team and seeing what was going on, I mean, you had, you probably had a feeling that this was something that wasn't going to end anytime soon, that this team was going to be good for several years. Well, and, and, it, and, and it was true. And um, uh, me being an infielder and coming up with, uh, say, Lopes, uh, Darby, and Russell, you know, I, there really wasn't much room, but uh, I kept getting opportunities to uh, come up to the major leagues and, uh, and uh, kind of show what I was capable of doing. And, Yeah, no question about it. And of course, you were traded in a deal that sent Dusty Baker over to the Dodgers. Baker ends up becoming an integral part of that team, being an outfielder. Obviously, you as an infielder get a chance to to to, re- to really play every day for the Atlanta Braves. And you know, in the next four seasons or so, you really you know you become an everyday player. You get to establish yourself as a full time major leaguer. Take us back to about '76 to '79 and how how it was like you know becoming a mainstay on the Atlanta Braves. Traded wasn't something that I was real fond of leaving. 
leaving California to go to Georgia was uh, somewhat scary, to be honest. But uh, uh, it, it became, it quickly became um, a place that I would call home for um, for ten seasons. And um, uh, Turner was was the owner and uh, and uh, brought me in. I was his first acquisition, and um, and. Um, Again, the years were lean, but uh, a lot of it was uh, was about me growing up and uh, becoming uh, um, uh, a fixture in Major League Baseball. Yeah, no question about it. Once again, it's John Pielli here with former Major League infielder Jerry Royster. Now, you know, as, as time goes on, the, you know, becoming in the 80s, um, you kind of take in a lo- like a little bit of a lesser role as a kind of a utility player. You get, you still get your chance to play. But um, it culminates with a postseason appearance in 1982 where you guys play at a, you know, you, you guys end up going to the uh, the NL, NLCS against St. Louis. Uh, take us back to uh, 1982, obviously playing for, I believe it was Joe Torrey, right? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it was a big year. It was a big year in my life. I ended up getting married that year, starting a family. Um, but um, when the season started, it was uh, we were coming off of a uh, off of a decent year. Um, uh, the year before, uh, had the same team. It was Del Murphy, Bob Horner, Glenn Hubbard, uh, Bruce Benedict. Shamless and Claudette Washington. Um, those, were, those those years, uh, we were able to stick together, uh, stay together as a team, and, and uh, uh, Brett Butler came along, and, and uh, we were able to do some uh, do some really good stuff. Uh, Eighty two culminated with start, started with uh, winning thirteen games in a row and uh, making it on to the uh, uh, start the season with thirteen straight wins and. Phenomenal, man. Now, as, as you as you move forward, you end up uh, leaving the Atlanta Braves, uh, going to the San Diego Padres. But I tell you, one thing that intrigues me is obviously uh, 1984, one of the bigger bigger brawls in at least the last like 30, 40 years. Uh, you were you were obviously involved in it, uh, you know, there as a member of the Atlanta Braves against the San Diego Padres. And then after that season, you go to play for San Diego. Was was there was there any was was there any animosity? Still, you know, between the two teams over what happened there because it seems like you guys really slugged it out there. Well, it really wasn't, and I think the one thing that um, uh, that made it an easier transition was the fact that they went to the World Series yeah. and, um, uh, after that fight, and it wasn't long after that, that fight was later on in the year and um, uh, in the season, and um, uh, and like you said, it, it was the biggest fight 
was it was nothing like that one, man. <laughs> true man once again it's just John Pialy I'm here for Major League infielder Jerry Royster now you know obviously you know you end up finishing your career in Atlanta after stops in uh, Chicago and uh, with the Yankees and you, you end up uh, getting into coaching you spend you know quite a considerable amount of time coaching and you end up taking over the Milwaukee Brewers and uh, you know partially maybe what is it, about 15 games into the the uh, 2002 season tell us a little bit about your experience in 2002 as a big league manager with the Brewers yeah, it was, um, I had, uh, um, been brought over there by Davey Lopes, who was the manager when he got the job, um, in 2000, um, I came over with him, and, uh, we had been friends since those early Dodger days, he had been a mentor to me, and, um, to be honest, he still is, and, um, and, uh, we're still in contact, and he brought me over, um, Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah, there's no question about it. I could definitely see the bittersweetness in it. Um, you know, going back a little bit, you're uh, one of my one of my favorite shows watching as a kid was uh, This Week in Baseball by Mel Allen, and obviously the catch that you made for the Atlanta Braves several years ago was one of the featured uh, featured clips in the opening credits of the show. Um, you know, tell tell and obviously it's a catch I'm sure you remember very well. Uh, take us a little bit about back back to that day and what it was like to you know be able to make a play like that again that was that magical 1982 season and um, um, it, I wasn't even an outfielder uh, Joe Torre I had played a little bit but uh, I remember Joe Torre telling me one day he goes you know I, I came to the ballpark I wasn't starting it was actually at Dodger Stadium and I, I came and he said you know what I had a dream last night and I was I was just walking past him he was in uniform I was going to get dressed and um, he says I had a dream last night about you and you were playing left field and you know we I kind of laughed and I said uh, left field and, and he goes and I, he goes yeah he goes it, it was very vivid and um, he says so uh, today you're playing left field and so that kind of started my uh, career as an outfielder but uh, uh, it was against Dickie Don against Houston and Dickie Don and, and um, we had those um, uh, six foot fences in Atlanta at the time and um, uh, I really didn't know what I was doing I, everything I did was just using some of the athleticism that I was you know some of my God given talents but uh, uh, I went back on that ball and um, you know What's ironic is that I felt that I was going to make that play, you know, for a, as the ball was in the air. I knew that it was going to be a, a tough play, but you know, I can I can definitely remember remember uh, preparing to make you know to make a, a good catch. And I guess that's the only way that you can make a play like that. It ended up being the uh, the play of the year, and like you said, featured in uh, this week in baseball and uh, and many other things. But. Uh, uh, we made it to the playoffs <laughs> and, um, uh, in St. Louis. Um, I was uh, presented with a trophy for the play of the year, which uh, uh, so I, I'll always remember it. My mom would definitely remember it because she's the one that has the, the award. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'll tell you one thing that's frustrating about it is a lot of the uh, the MLB copyright laws make it so, so difficult to view plays like that now. I mean, even about five years ago, you could get, you know, if you wanted to watch a video of, you know, a certain play, you know, all you have to do is just go on a computer. Now with all the MLB copyright laws, you, you, you can't dig up anything for anything more than about 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Rick Mayler and I would watch some of the old videos with uh, with our with our kids, and uh, and that play was on it. He was actually the pitcher uh, that day, and um, uh, I remember uh, sitting watching watching that play happen in the middle of the of the season, and um, uh, and him talking about it. And uh, later on, um, years went by, and they were uh, the Braves were changing stadiums. They had a big picture of that catch, the actual me leaning over the fence, you know, and um, kind of teetering on, on top of that six-foot fence. Yeah. It, it's got a picture of me 
No, that's awesome. I'll tell you, that's a memory that you know nobody's ever going to be able to take away from you. You know, as you move as you move on, uh, this past uh, season, 2012, you had a chance to uh, work with Bobby Valentine in Boston. You were his third base coach. Uh, tell us a little bit about which obviously had to be a pretty tough season, the 2012 Red Sox, all, all the expectations, and what really what, what was the really central part of things not working out last year.
Yeah, and I tell you, man, it's 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 crazy the way baseball you know turns out. Bobby Valentine, I've always been a huge fan of him. Uh, I, I I know he he you know sometimes he does things a little bit not by the book, but he's uh, in his own way he's he's innovative and he's a very good baseball man. And you know, I would I would have I, I would have loved to see him have you know one more shot where he could you know have a good team and have a little more success because I think you know he he deserves a lot more credit for what he's done as a major league manager. Absolutely, he's an asset to the game. Now, Jerry, uh, before I let you go, you have any more aspirations as far as being a, a big league manager or in any type of capacity? You looking to uh, associate yourself, you know, with maybe you know, being a coach or being a uh, you know big league manager again? question about it. Jerry, listen, I want to thank you for having some time today and uh, listen, I hope we stay in touch and maybe I can get you on a program sometime in the near future. No problem. Thanks, John. All right, Jerry. Thanks a lot, man. So there you go, Jerry Royster. On the same day that I play my interview at the beginning of the program with Jerry Royce, a little uh, you know play on words, similarity, the whole thing, kind of fun. But uh, yeah, listen, great show so far. Bob Watson, Jerry Royce, Jerry Royster, Brad Pennington. But we're gonna finish up with something that's kind of bothering me a little bit, and that's you know in regards to Major League Baseball, and uh, you know they they pick the the five players to appear, you know, up to the fans vote for the last spot in the All Star game and what is this obsession lately with middle relievers 
I mean, are, are you serious? I mean, Steve Delabar ends up getting the nod over David Robertson, Joaquin Benoit, um, Shepherds of, uh, of the Rangers, and somebody else that I'm forgetting about right now. So, you know, not that important, whatever. But, you know, the bottom line is you're looking at players. How many middle relievers do you need in the All-Star game now? I mean, to me, it's something that, that's gotten crazy. Um, you know, you, you look at the fact that the Jim Leland already brought – two middle relievers into the all-star game you know you look at uh, you know guys like jesse crane brett cecil brett cecil is having you know a great year as a reliever but that's the first time he's ever done it jesse crane's done it for a couple years so i give him a little credit for that but you know the only relievers that aren't closers that should be in a baseball all-star game are guys like mike stanton and jeff nelson of the late 90s guys that have done it for a long time mike adams as a contemporary possibility with the padres and the rangers in the last couple seasons those guys are, are getting credit for what they've done before otherwise you're taking all-star spaces away from somebody else particularly when you got the fan vote up there for the last spot here i mean you got the last spot and you got five relievers up there i mean are you kidding me i mean do fans really want to see more middle relievers in the all-star game uh, yeah listen it's great for, for for the guy that ended up getting in steve delabar great job you know, I'm sure I'd be happy to be there. I'm sure the fans of Toronto will be happy to see him go there. But does do the Toronto Blue Jays need two middle relievers in this year's All-Star game and none of them are an injury replacement? I mean, that's silly. Casey Jansen hasn't had a bad year, but he's probably not an All-Star. So you're going to tell me that Brett Cecil and Steve Delabar are, are All-Stars? How many guys are getting screwed in the American League this year because of, 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 the, of the middle relievers? I mean, look at some guys that didn't make the team this year. I mean, Matt Moore ends up going to replace you, Darvish, but he wasn't selected. How could you not have him on the final five? Josh Donaldson, the year he's had with the Athletics, 319, 15 homers, 58 RBIs. Hiroki Kuroda with the Yankees. Adrian Beltre with the Rangers. Anibal Sanchez, I know he was hurt a little bit, but guys like Chris Tillman, Irvin Santana, Derek Holland, honestly, were all worth consideration. Grant Balfour of the A's. Greg Holland of Kansas City, James Loney, Howie Kendrick. These are all guys not on the all-star team, but you made your final five for the fans to vote. You made it between Steve Delabar, Joaquin Benoit, David Robertson, Tanner Shepers, and Koji Uhara. And listen, I would actually make a case that Koji Uhara, based on his last couple years and what he's done this year, deserves a chance to be on the all-star team. He would get an at-large bid, in my opinion. But the other guys, you're just going to simply neglect what has been a lot of good performances that are worthy of an all-star selection. I think it's silly. Honestly, I don't agree with it at all. I hope this, I hope we don't get into a, an era where, you know, what are we going to end up doing? The best pinch hitter, the best defensive replacement, uh, the best guy that could play more than one position that isn't a starter, the best bat boy. Come on. It's getting a little crazy. Hope you guys enjoyed the program. John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. A big thanks to Jerry Royce. A big thanks to Brad Pennington. Um, also a thanks to Bob Watson and Jerry Royster. We'll be back next week with another. Always a lineup of guests right here on the Passball Show on the MTR Radio Network. Don't forget, replays 5 to 7 on Saturday, Sunday 2 to 4. Uh, we'll definitely be back next week. Hope you guys enjoyed the program. Um, enjoy the All-Star game. Back next week.